Hey everyone, Zook here again. Uh, it's the week of February 22nd. Once again, I'm kind of soloing it. So we're going to give you another flashback. This one goes to episode number 177. This was recorded August of 2014. has Dollface and Dr. Squishy with it, and it's called Apples to Capes. Hope you enjoy. Broadcasting from the Stolen Droids Hangout and discussing everything that has been taking place in the geek world over the past 168 hours... Well, give or take, it's the Stolen Droids Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode number 177. I'm Dollface. I'm Zana. And I'm Zook. And we come to you this week, uh, this is the show for the week of Monday, August 18th, and we have a special guest with us this week. We have Dr. Squishy from Stolen Droids East, or from Squishy's Comics and Movies. Hello. Thanks for letting me join in today, guys. Welcome. So, yay, we finally have four members, though not our normal four members. <laughs> Yes, I, I'm filling in for Schmitty, who's he's coping with something right now that's not fit for a family program with his illness. We'll just we'll excuse him for tonight's show. Um, all right, we, we we have a lot of headlines, so normally this is where we devolve into a whole bunch of bantering and just goofing around. We don't have time for that, so we need to get right into thanking our friends over at TrekRadio.net, CryptonRadio.com, OpenBookAudio.com, and Stitcher.com. Also, special thanks over to 4814, 48-14.com. Don't Google it. Just go type in the URL. Best web, web WordPress hosting bleh, you can ever find. And they're also very considerate and forgiving because of all the many times I screw up their promo. So if you want forgiving, considerate, and wonderful web hosts, check them out, 48-14.com. We have our Indiegogo running. Well, kind of. It depends on when you're hearing this. See, the Indiegogo ends on the 19th. So if you're hearing this on Monday when it goes up, stop listening right now and head over to StolenDroids.com and ch- click on the Indiegogo link right there underneath our name and donate something. Please. I'm asking nicely. I'm telling you, but I'm, I'm really asking. Uh, if you're listening to it on Tuesday, the 19th, hit pause and go to StolenDroids.com and click on the Indiegogo link. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, well, you failed. But that's okay. We love you anyway. Uh, yeah, uh, joining in on the Indiegogo is not required for listening to our show, so we still love you. But uh, we do appreciate to everyone who's already donated, uh, and if everyone else could please spread the word to help us try and meet our goal, we would definitely appreciate it. Plus, we have some awesome swag we just want to give you, so it's a win-win. Uh, first up, we have some feedback from uh, who else but our friend Ruff, and I'm reading this from my phone because I forgot to pull this up on the computer, but... Um, he says, uh, I had a, to drive to and from JFK recently, so I caught up on your show. That's the best time to do it is when you have a very long drive. Uh, in regards to Google finding child porn and turning the guy over to the authorities, my wife saw that and she asked me what I thought about it. My response, totally fine with it. Uh, Gmail is a cloud-based system and Google was scanning their systems. No problem with that at all. However, if Google was scanning the guy's computer and finding files on his machine, not theirs, then I would have a real problem with that. Cheers, Ruff. I think what Ruff means is not necessarily that he's okay with people keeping child porn on their computers, but not okay with it on Gmail servers. But it's the whole uh, what is yours versus what isn't yours. Your email is not actually yours. Yeah, it was addressed to you, and or yeah, you sent it, but it was actually stored on someone else's system that you use voluntarily for free, and you agree to their terms of service when you use it. And part of the terms of service is that Google can and will scan through it regularly to give you targeted ads and or search for illegal material. They'll just so. be bored with mine. Yeah. <laughs> Good yeah, that's kind of been my thing with the NSA as well. You know, the people are afraid of reading my emails. Go right ahead. It's boring. 
I have no problem with that. As best I, I can tell, if uh, the NSA is uh, reading my emails, they know just how crazy my ex is. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they should they help really if they're going to read. Yeah, just hey guys, if you're reading my emails, if you could write me a reference letter, I'd really appreciate it. <laughs> Come on, I'm sure a couple of your guys, a couple of you went through nasty divorces. Come on, give me the friend right here, like the guys at the furniture store. Um, okay, so into some tech news, and we're going to start off with some internet issues. If you have been noticing this week that your internet has been having problems, it isn't just you. Turns out this is an actual legitimate problem across a lot of major networks, and the major networks knew this was going to happen. Dollface is trying not to giggle at something. I don't know if I have something caught in my teeth here or not, but no, it's. I'm sorry, it's not you. I have um, <laughs> my husband in the background doing the robot, so I apologize. Now she sounds like she's crying. <laughs> she's very emotional about the internet. When those tubes get clogged up, it really it hits her where she lives. I mean, this is a, this is it a hurts serious right thing. We there. need we need a telephone to help. These I do not need to hear about Dollface. <laughs> Clogged tubes hurting, okay? That is not appropriate for this so show. So many feels. Yeah. Sorry. Okay, so, so anyway, there is a part of uh, every major ISP that uh, involves the routing table. You don't need to know what the routing table is. That's my job to know what it is. But what it does is it tells you, tells the systems where to route your traffic to. It gives you the best route across the internet. Well, for every route that exists, it has to be stored in the system. And like any computer, there's a limit to how many they can store. The older systems had a hard limit, 512,000 routes. Not really a problem for a long time there, because there weren't that many routes. Well, the internet, of course, grows. And if your ISP didn't buy new equipment when they were told to do this almost a year ago, then guess what? It ran into a problem with the routes. So if you've been noticing that your internet suddenly doesn't know what it's doing anymore or you're simply getting shot out to no man's land, like if, for instance, you have level three, or sorry, L3, AT&T, Cogent, Sprint, Verizon, and uh, surprisingly not Comcast, then your internet connection may have been having problems this week. Here's hoping they have fixed it by now and you can once again hear our show. Yay. Luckily, I'm uh, in a place where our internet doesn't really fall on this because, you know... We're like our own planet out here. It's run by a hamster and like, <laughs> yeah. the stars. Yeah, a couple frogs yeah. thrown in there, some deer. Yeah, I'm lucky yeah. enough to have Comcast. And the service is just sort of universally mediocre, so I accept that. <laughs> it's meh. <laughs> That's why well, I, mean, I left Comcast. I, I take it back, and I'd, I'd love to. I would leave Comcast. It's it's really hysterical because they know I have no options. Because when I call in and I do that, I'm threatening to cancel. Give me a discount thing. They pretty much say no. Go right ahead. You can cancel. Go back to dial-up. Enjoy. My my internet is uh, pretty awesome, but it's really dependent upon me doing a special kind of rain dance uh, at least once a month to appease the ISP gods. So, You know, when I called Comcast to say, give me a better deal, they said, screw you. Go somewhere else. So I did. And mm -hmm. then they called me incessantly for a month about two weeks after I had terminated my service trying to figure out why I left. Yeah. They're not the smartest. No, they have awesome, awesomely horrible customer service. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, that segues nicely into another headline. It wasn't necessarily supposed to be the next headline, but we're going with it anyway. Um, it turns out uh, that even Comcast reps tell you, off the record, of course, that, yes, you should always record your customer service calls. Now, here's an interesting legal question. Is that legal? What, recording your incoming calls? 
recording the calls you make to Comcast customer service? The answer is yes. Now, normally this would depend upon which part of the country you call from because states have their own different wiretap laws. However, a call to Comcast customer service always starts off with what disclaimer? This call may be recorded for training purposes. Right. Well, guess what? By telling you that, they have just made it legal to record the call. But inadvertently, they've also made it legal for you to record the call. Sure. Because they know the call may be recorded. Yeah. They're acknowledging the possibility of the call be recorded. The the intro is not saying this call is being recorded by Comcast. Okay. Yeah. So uh, what they're saying is you should definitely uh, record your calls to pick up any uh, wrong kind of customer service. And we all know what kind of wrong kind they're talking about because – what was it? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Zonor, you posted the uh, the wonderful audio from that horrible retention analyst. Why do you want to cancel? Just tell me why you want to cancel. You yeah. can't cancel until you tell me why. Yeah, Comcast yeah, is full of awesome. That's when you. That's what happens when you get a rep who's already decided to quit. I, <laughs> I spent my time as a phone monkey, and when I knew my time was coming to an end, let's just say I didn't exactly give that wow factor to uh, a lot of the customers who called in. Yeah. But I did have a truly, just real quick, I, uh, I worked for DirecTV for their customer service once and actually had a, a VP who ended up getting on the phone. Customer threatened to switch and go to Dish Network, and so the VP gave him the number to Dish Network. Nice. Mind you, this customer was just a complete flaming a-hole, it, just not the kind of partner, the person they wanted, but yeah, VP finally said, okay, here's their number, give them a call. <laughs> nice. Have hey, uh, fun with that. Yeah. You know, there was actually, we're, we're going on a tangent here, but, and I'm not... I want to make clear here that I'm not blaming the people who recorded that call from Comcast because Comcast does have some pretty horrible customer service at times. Um, but there was a very interesting study that was published a couple of weeks ago, and I'll try and find a link here somewhere. But it points out what some people in customer service always know. Maybe the reason you get horrible customer service is because you're a horrible customer. Mm-hmm. I have to agree. I'm sorry, but <laughs> when you're on the phone and if someone calls you and instantly they're ready to attack you, I mean, it's human nature that you're going to get defensive. You know, no matter how nice you try and get, if they're constantly trying to push your buttons, I'm sorry, but what do you expect? If you want respect, then you need to call and be respectful. Absolutely. Just saying, guys. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I did several years as a phone monkey. And if someone called in and was nice and polite and asked for things, I was much more likely to do something than if someone told me to do something. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to say no, and you want to talk to my supervisor, go right ahead, let him give in, but I'm not going to because I don't have to. Right. So th- there's an awful lot that the phone monkeys can do if you're just a little bit nice to them. Yeah, uh, by the way, in case anyone's questioning, uh, we're getting rid of the Stolen Droids podcast. We're now going to open up a nude podcast that's just about griping in the call center. Did you say hey, nude? I, <laughs> hey, I, I've been thinking for years that a, a Clerks-style movie about call center work really could be good. That's you, that'd be great, but the turnover would be so high that the movie wouldn't end with the same people it started with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you like just a separate a cast, one night like thing. Four, four times over. Yeah. By the and end of the movie, they're all in Bangalore. Yeah, the last reel, it's the, everybody's replaced, and you just play it totally cool. You don't even acknowledge it. You just have all the Indian actors, and then they break into a Bollywood musical number just because. So. And then there's that one guy, worth my deepler. You need that because, unfortunately, all those people do end up in in call centers. Uh, Anyway, moving on. We we never talked about this Comcast story, though. I thought I just did. No, not really. Customer service? Sort of covered it. No, this dude called up and 
had all these issues, and Comcast essentially said, we're not going to help you until he says, well, I have a recording of this. And they said, oh, well, since you have a recording, I guess we're going to have to help you. Lesson learned. Record your mm-hmm. calls. Moving on. Oh, see, and I thought this was a, I thought this was a follow up to the previous one where the guy recorded it. No, see, that's what happens when you don't read the read the show or read the article in show prep, man. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yes, I, I just I probably could get something out of out of recording my calls, but I'm sorry, that just sounds like too much work. It it really is. I, I know that if I really need something, I can just complain loud enough, get to a manager, and 99 times out of 99, they're going to give me what I want. So it's like, it sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, Comcast ended up overcharging this dude like. Uh, $121, I think. Uh-huh. And he he comes back and he says, you're telling me that if I didn't have a recording of that call, you wouldn't have been able to do it, meaning refund his money. And the the rep says, yes, that is correct. Well, yeah, because that's a first-level phone rep. I mean, their yeah. jo- it's like the insurance company. Their job is to say no the first time. Yeah. You know, the first-level phone monkey is going to say no. You get to a supervisor, they're going to say probably not. You get one more level up, and it's sure. Have a bagel, too. You know, that's That's just... <laughs> Gaming the Can system, I wash your car? Yeah. Let me give you six months you of like free showtime. So, yeah, the lesson to be learned is customer service reps dealing with disputed charges will try and negotiate with you, and the only chance, yeah. and you only have a chance at legitimate recourse if you actually record your calls with them. So, yeah, Comcast is, is really fighting hard for that worst company in America again. Good job, guys. Aim low. So, okay. I'm sorry, I didn't actually read the article. That's okay. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have called you out. That was my bad, and I feel really horrible for it. I hope that you can find it in your heart to forgive me. Oh, I mean, if you take him out lying. to dinner. I, mean, really, I try and do this show. No love. Yeah, much. Okay, so um, here's something exciting, and this sounds dumb. I understand this, but bear with me, because it's so not dumb, Okay. The USB Standards Association, a group of engineer geeks whose sole job it is but to sit around and figure out new ways to work USB, have come up with the USB Type-C standard. Okay, Most people don't realize that. There's actually three different types of connectors. There's the original kind, which looks kind of like a weird trapezoid house thing. Then there's the one we're all used to, that little rectangle. Um, and then, of course, there's the micro, the mini, the, all the other ones. But those are technically Type-2s or Type-Bs. The Type-C connector... It will be the next generation USB connector. Why should anyone care? Because it's reversible. What? I know this sounds dumb, but anyone who's anyone's who's ever used a computer knows the universal truth about USB. You plug it in and it doesn't fit. You flip it over, it doesn't fit. <laughs> you flip it over again and somehow it fits. Schmitty yeah. would point out this is called superposition in quantum mechanics, that the state is both on and off until you look <laughs> at it. <laughs> but finally, we have USB that will be fully reversible. The fact that it's tiny and can fit into the side of a cell phone is almost secondary. The fact that it can, it can take 10 gigabits of data a second over its wires and provide up to 100 watts of power is almost tertiary. It's freaking reversible. It is the future. And yet we will still put it in wrong. Out of context quote. But anyway. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> hundred watts of power. What on earth could you be plugging into your laptop that takes a hundred? A hundred watts of power is enough power to actually give you a reading lamp. And I'm not talking about those little LED things that you can like kind of work around. I'm talking an actual floor lamp with an incandescent in it. 
That's a lot of power. If I can't plug a spotlight into my laptop, it's not worth it. And when I well, talk I mean, spotlight, I'm talking like the kind you go out and shine like on gators at night in the swamps type spotlight. That's probably just more preparatory. You know, they, they want to have the extra power there because they know that tablets and phones are only going to get more powerful and people will want them charged quicker. So they'll be able to say that with a USB 3 or whatever they're calling it, you'll be able to charge your phone in six minutes. So it's probably more for that type of speed or that, that type of you know, speed of powering up. Or in case you need to jumpstart your car. You know. Sure, that's possible as well. Get out the yeah. laptop. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, Chromebooks are good for something. I know. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> this is where Schmitty stops listening and like calls me up to scream at me. I'm kidding, man. Anyway, no, it is kind of cool because USB is going to be around for forever. It is the plug of choice, yeah. but reversible plugs. I know I have now flogged that horse for all it's worth, but I can't tell you how stupidly excited I am over it. It's the little things. It is the little things. Uh, speaking of little thing, BlackBerry. <laughs> See what I did uh, there? Just out of curiosity, I, I don't get a chance to listen to the show every week, and we're on episode 177 now for the, the Stolen Droids podcast. How many episodes, just top of your head guess, have involved some story about BlackBerry doing something stupid? 174. 175. <laughs> you guys actually think you went two or three episodes without ripping BlackBerry for something? We have. At least one. I mean, for a while, we were considering changing that to the name of the show. Well, for the first year, it was the Sony show. Yeah. Well, here's some interesting news that uh, kind of took everyone else in the world by surprise. I- I'll admit, it totally took me by surprise. Remember that interim CEO, John Chen, who, I guess, unofficially dropped the interim part of his title? He is now CEO. Um, I can kind of understand it. BlackBerry as a company was very, very hesitant about a new CEO after the last one completely screwed everything over hard. Didn't they have two CEOs at one time? Yeah, they had co-CEOs originally, which is just the stupidest business decision you can ever have. They got rid of them and had Thorsten Hertz or Heinz or whatever his name was. And he had brought us the Be Bold team and Thurston Howell the third. He was he was just a mess. Well, John Chen has been taking the reins for now, I want to say a little over a year. I know he's been in that place for quite a while. Um, and for the longest time, they just called him interim CEO. They wouldn't give us any more than that. I'm guessing he actually is CEO now because all those hard choices he's made, all the people he's laid off, all the phones he stopped and all the production he stopped doing, and all the real estate he sold has worked. Hmm. BlackBerry is no longer operating in the red. They're not very far into the black, but their shipments actually went up 1.5% this last quarter. No, 15%. Oh, I'm sorry. Stupid decimal. Um, They shipped 1.5 million units. Thank you. Okay. 1.5% is a very small percent. uh, For BlackBerry, I'd still say it's something. Now, I personally still don't like BlackBerry as a device, okay? I am a Windows Phone user, but I can respect Android as a device. I can just respect the iPhone as a device. Blackberries are still just weird to me, okay? The OS is wrong. The hardware is wrong. But credit where credit's due, to take a ship that is basically the Titanic, that is pretty much all the way under the water and broken in half, and somehow lift it back up to the surface, which is what he's done, is impressive. I, I know I sure don't have the business chops to do that, so... Now, you know, I know they're still really early on, but which would you say, assuming things keep going well, which would be a bigger turnaround? What he's doing with uh, BlackBerry or what Yahoo's done in the last few years since um, 
uh, oh, shoot, what's her name? Marissa Meyer. Marissa yeah. Meyer took over as CEO. What do you think is a bigger turnaround? That is a good question. That's a hard one. I don't know if I can actually answer that because uh, Yahoo wasn't so far gone that they were forced to sell everything they own. Hmm. I, I mean, BlackBerry practically went through a fire sale. Sure. And because somehow they were managed on to fire. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, whereas Yahoo had just simply lost relevance. And had grown very stagnant. So I don't think that, that the situation at Yahoo was quite as dire as it was for BlackBerry. So, yeah, I know I haven't given an answer. I don't know if I can. Because I think it's almost an apple to orange thing. I think she did a real great job at rebranding, at refocusing and shifting the direction where Yahoo was headed. Whereas BlackBerry has just been turning things around on the same course. I've never you understood know? the apples to oranges thing. I mean, if you think about it, they've got an awful lot in common. They grow on trees, they're fruits, they have seeds. Okay, one's green, one's orange or red, but not that different of things. I mean, if you were to say it's like comparing oranges and carburetors, okay, that's a big difference. But apples and oranges, that, that's always bothered me. One's a citrus, this is what I think the other one's not. One yes, is the other different things, one genius. Is not. I get that. But I'm just saying it's not that One has a rind. Difference. One has a peel. That's a rind. No, apples have a peel as well. They're the, the outside skin. That's a skin. Thing. What's That's the difference between a skin and a rind? And you know what is so much better than both of those? <laughs> huh. Is <Grapes>. cake. What? <laughs> cake. Sorry, you cut her off. Cake. Cake? Eh. Yes. Yeah, because yeah, you said cake wrong. at the same time he said grapes. And I'm like, capes? Where the hell did that come into the conversation? <laughs> no, cake. Grapes. It's like comparing cake? apples to capes. See, and I, I would argue, I think cake is an overrated delivery device for frosting. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, Those are fighting man. words with her. You want me to they really are. piss off the internet? Bacon's overrated. Hmm. There you go. You can send all mail to squishy at <laughs> S-Q-I-S-H-Y at S-T-O-L-E-N-D-R-O-I-D-S. Every time I listen to Squishy's comics and movies, towards the end there where he's giving the ways that you can give feedback, I feel like I'm back at Sesame Street. Because he teaches me to spell our name all over again. Well... It's, I, I, you gotta realize, I work in a field in my day job where I come across so many stupid names on a daily basis that I can't assume that anyone knows how to spell even typical words anymore. So, yeah, no, I, I feel no, it's you're, okay. you're not wrong there. Um, into other tech news that isn't tech, because for some reason, Microsoft decided this week was a perfect time to drop all the news. Um, Halo 5 multiplayer was announced. It'll be coming out uh, later this year into the beginning of next year. Let's put it this way. It'll be coming out when everyone is home from school for the Christmas break. Strategic? I think so. Because they want you to play that multiplayer beta on the new Xbox One you got for Christmas. Now, I'm looking at the story to try to confirm, but isn't it going to be included? You get beta access as part of the, the Uber Halo bundle that they're releasing this holiday? Am I um, right I on that? I think so, but I believe you can also get in on it uh, other ways as well. I'm looking at the story here to try to see, but yeah, it's it's uh, December 29th to January 18th. You're right, that's perfect timing, right over the holiday break. That's definitely going to be popular. Dedicated servers? Should be a thing. Yeah. Um, now, uh, yeah, oh, here we go. Just yep. barely- uh, yeah, fans can get access. You get access to the Halo 5 multiplayer by buying the Halo Master Chief collection. That's their big collection of Halo 1, Halo 2, 3, and 4, all HD remastered. So that gets you early access. And then much like they, what they did with uh, Destiny, they'll probably open it up uh, after the first couple days. Yeah. Now, uh, this includes uh, achievements and rewards and all sorts of unlockables that will carry over into the actual game, which is good because the Destiny beta sure didn't. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, it will basically have like Spartan war games. So you're playing four on four, which is pretty awesome. Oh, cool. Now, for any naysayers, and I haven't noticed them come out as much about this, like uh, Squishy touched on there, these will be played on dedicated servers at 60 frames a second. These are part of Microsoft's cloud platform, the ones that are running the Titanfall AI and have been running a lot of Xbox One games since launch. The ones that people said would never work and you can never game over a dedicated server and it's just dumb. Well, guess what? They did. And it's been working fine. Uh, Also in Xbox news... um, one day, they came out and said that the new Tomb Raider game will be an Xbox and Microsoft exclusive. The internet kind of reacted with rage. And the next day... The, the internet the, was the internet. I mean, The internet was the internet, yeah. The, the very next day, yeah, they Jesus had to could come, come out back and, and be a, spo- a spokesperson for Dunkin' Donuts, and the internet would still rage about it. I mean, it's, anyway, sorry. They had to come out and <laughs> explain the next day that what they meant to say was it would be an exclusive for a time. About six months exclusivity period before it then goes on to Xbox 360, PlayStation, PC, other platforms. You might get a year, but yeah, it's it's an unspecified time that it will be exclusive to Xbox One. And most now, likely when it hits other consoles, it's going to be the expanded collection. It'll include a bunch of DLC and stuff. Right. Now, this was actually, when it first was announced, before they clarified things, I was actually kind of shocked. Because obviously it came out before the Xbox, but... Tomb Raider has always been a PC title to me. I know it's come out on other title, other consoles since as well, but I still remember it as a PC game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, the exact opposite. I've never thought of I know it's always been on the PC, but I've never thought of it as a PC game. It was originally a PC game. Sure. I mean, everything was, basically. But I've always thought that Tomb Raider really made its bones as a franchise on the console markets. Mm-mm, not true. Tomb Raider made its bones on the PC after the naked Laura Croft mod was, was released. Yeah. <laughs> That's what made it a... I think at that point, that was immediately when the Angelina Jolie movies were greenlit. Yeah, you're probably not wrong. (laughs) Because if there's one thing the internet of the late 1990s loved, it was badly pixelated, almost nudity. It really was a dark time for the internet. Or a fun time, depending on how you want to look at it. It was like flesh-colored killer instinct, only a lot more caves and a lot less decapitations. No, actually, there's a lot of decapitations in there, too. A lot of just animal massacre. That's the one thing I always remember about the early games is she just killed tons and tons of animals. Well, if they stopped sh- flying into my gun, it would help. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Just think of all of the Facebook shaming that would go on if she were to post a pic of her by some of her animal kills now. You know, that they'd like be calling for her head just like they're calling for Steven Spielberg after he took down that Triceratops. I was actually thinking of all the Facebook shaming that would happen when you connect Facebook to your uh, PC account. It's like, Squ- Dr. Squishy has been playing Tomb Raider, nude mod. <laughs> Everyone know. Hey, I'm fine with a little bit of accountability in the internet. <laughs> Bring it on. Now, um, Xbox One is also going to have a really, really awesome new feature. One that they've hinted at before, but they went into a little bit more detail. If you pre-order Forza Horizon 2... Not just this game, but this is the first one that's going to be doing it. If you pre-order it, in the time leading up to the game's launch, it will start to download to your console. So when it launches, it's there ready to play. It's not that the game has launched, and you can either go to your local game store and get in line to buy it, or you can hop online and start to download it. No, no, no. It launches, that means it's ready to play right then. Oh. 
I, like I have mixed feelings about this because on one hand, I think it's really awesome. But on the other hand, like, doesn't it kind of take away from the grandeur of a game launch? Yes, the grandeur of being in front of a GameStop at 11.45 in the morning with a bunch of other people that you look around and wonder, are these really my peeps? Is, is this what I look like to the rest of the world? I have got to reorganize my priorities. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. That grandeur right there. Because <laughs> it is a life-changing experience. It may kill you a little bit inside. You may die a little bit as a human, but it's still part of the experience. Yeah, every time I go to a midnight launch, I feel like I should bring business cards along and just hand them out. Let people know that you are like a grown adult and no, as a job. more recruiting customers. I, I'm a I'm a shrink by profession. Yeah, uh, so yes, that's yes. Uh, well, I'm just for the, for the listeners at home. Is that yeah, what you no. do on Black Friday? You just go up and down the lines with like, here's some hot chocolate I brought you, and here's my card. Do you still you, live in your mom's here? basement? Here, call me. You are here on Thanksgiving night. That probably means you have an unfulfilled relationship with your family. Let's talk about it. <laughs> I brought my Chase Lounge. It's in the back of this truck. You know, I don't do that. I'm pretty sure if someone would call the cops on you, actually, it's it's yes, inviting people to come to the couch that's in my van. I have candy. Yeah, these, slasher movies have started out. Are that there way. windows in your van, or is it windowless? Well, I, I like to keep a little variety. I've got a pretty big rush mural on the side, so you know that that takes up a lot of space. I think you're okay then. Yeah, yeah. They're Canadian. They're polite. Eh? Yeah. You know these so game I, launches these midnight launches and the quote-unquote grandeur that we see surrounding them remind me of the days back before the internet was what it is now, like when Star Wars Episode One came out, and people would stand in line a week in advance to buy their yeah. tickets, and they'd stand in line for like six hours, I know I did, to buy their movie tickets, whereas now, you know, it's like no big deal, you just go online and order it. That's how these game. I mean, I don't understand. The game launches, why should they be any different? It's easily downloadable content, that you can just get. I don't know why you have to go through all of the crap surrounding a midnight launch. Yeah, I get that. No, I, and, and that's why I'm saying I have mixed feelings on this because it is so unbelievably convenient this way. And it's not just convenient to us as consumers. It's convenient to game developers and publishers. The only yeah. one that's not convenient to are the store owners. Yeah. GameStop hates it. And that's, that's always been my biggest problem, especially with Microsoft, with their on-demand and their, their, their games for sale through Xbox Live. If I'm going to go out and buy a physical copy for $59.99, I have to assume that some part of that $59.99 is going to the store, it's going to the truck driver, it's covering the, the fuel on the plane that brought it to the shipping docks, the physical printing. You know, There's a cost involved, and I accept that. But if I'm sitting at home and I go on to Xbox Live the first day they release it at $59.99 digital, why am I paying the exact same price for a digital release? Not, Not that technically used your internet that you pay for to get to you. Because yeah. screw job. So Microsoft is getting a larger portion of my money, which is just a little bit dickish on there. And I know they don't want to, they don't want to piss off GameStop. I mean, if they were to cut five bucks off all the digital sales, GameStop would go out of their minds, Best Buy and Walmart as well. But, you know, it, it's a bit odd, some of the pricing structures they have for digital sales. Yeah, I completely agree with that, Squishy. There's there's no reason why when you're doing a digital download you should be paying the exact same price that you're paying for a physical copy. Hmm? There's no excuse. It it is just yeah. it's a dick move on the manufacturer's part so that they can pocket that extra ten or fifteen bucks, whatever, or forty bucks, whatever it yeah. turns out to be. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, on the flip side of that, though, we also uh, and. I got a lot of flack for this this week from uh, from Schmitty, who is not here on the air with us. But 
I misheard an announcement that, X, that Microsoft made through their Xbox channel, and I put this headline in as something else. And Squishy yelled at me basically for troll Schmitty for what trolling him. Schmitty. Oh, sorry, hey, Schmitty. Right. Did. Yeah, Schmitty yelled, yelled at you for at a me. lot of stupid things you do, but that wasn't one of them. You guys' names are too much alike. <laughs> We're practically but, twins. But um, here's what I heard. Okay, I heard incorrectly that Microsoft in Every country except the U.S. practically, mostly the European nations, uh, was going to start allowing you to stream live TV out to your mobile devices. The Xbox One would be able to use its its digital TV services to almost like a sling box or a Roku, push it out, or a Plex server, push it out to your mobile phone or your tablet or any other mobile device like that, regardless of what the Xbox was doing. So I could be in the living room playing Halo 5, and someone else in my house could have their tablet open and be watching live TV with a guide and the ability to switch channels and everything, and it wouldn't affect my gameplay, and my gameplay wouldn't affect the TV. Okay, I said that it sounded like Xbox was now able to do what Aereo is no longer allowed to. Aereo, of course, being the TV service that brings in service over an antenna and pushes it out to you over your internet connection. What I missed in the article, which is what Schmitty was yelling at me about, is that it actually does not work quite that way. They're going to have an additional little peripheral that you can buy that is a digital tuner. So you take the TV service in your house, plug it into the back of the Xbox, and from there, then it goes out to all your mobile devices. See, I missed that one little detail, and it evidently is a very large detail. <laughs> Just the same, this is pretty cool. You know, yeah, I, I, I like that. When the, when your first Xbox came out, um, a lot of people modded the crap out of thing out of the thing to play your old arcade games, right? Your old eight bit games to play to be able to save larger files to act as a media server, so you could play media from other computers in the house to act as a media center extender. That's what I did. Uh, Schmitty actually ran a side business doing it for people. When the Xbox 360 came out, suddenly we had no reason to do that anymore because the media center capabilities were built in. The ability to pull media from other computers was built in. The ability to save entire games to your hard drive was built in. 8-bit games and emulators and whatnot, you could buy on Xbox Arcade or Live Arcade for no problem. And in that way, Microsoft really just simply took away any reason you had to modify their system. And I kind of get the feeling that they're doing it again with the Xbox One, saying, got a Roku? You don't need one anymore. Got a Slingbox? Don't need one anymore. How about an Apple TV? Yep, we can do that. They're really just trying to make this your all-in-one entertainment box. I don't know. You think they'll work? Well, I think that Microsoft has been trying to do this with the Xbox for a long time, making it the center, the centerpiece of your home theater, your home entertainment system, whatever you happen to have. They want the Xbox to be the focal point where everything runs through it. You've got Netflix. You've got all these other services and whatnot that are able to be utilized via the Xbox. So it seems like a logical step for me. I, I think it's smart on their part, and hopefully it succeeds. I don't know. I, I've always questioned this business plan on Microsoft's side to really sell it as a home entertainment system first. And the reason for that is because you think about the kind of person who's going to buy the or who bought the Xbox One in its first year. Someone who's a first adopter of a five $600 video game system, they probably already have a home media center. They have an Apple TV. They have... Devices already set up that do exactly what the Xbox One was pretending it could do, and they're devices that the consumer is already used to and familiar with. 
Mm-hmm. So you're selling to the first adopters in the first year who are people who probably already have that technology. Maybe I, this isn't geared for the first adopters, though. Well, but then you, if you wanted to try to get – you know you're going to get the first adopters, those people who've got more money than brains who want to buy every new gadget. But if you really want to get people, you, you get them through the games. That's what sold every system. I mean, people bought the Xbox 360 because of games. But allow me to play devil's advocate here. I think Microsoft's biggest problem with trying to become the master of the living room has not been the consoles, but how they've advertised the capability of the consoles. Do you know how many people – well, obviously you don't, but a lot of people I've known go out and get a Roku. Well, why? Well, because I love Netflix and because I want to watch YouTube videos. And I'm sitting there looking at the Xbox 360 they've had for years going, yeah, you, you know that does that, right? That it does it all. Wait, sure. it does? Or, or even Surprise. like uh, the, the PlayStation 3 did it. You know, it's like, yeah. why did you go and buy this? Granted, a Roku is, is relatively inexpensive, but still, it's $100 you didn't need to spend. Mm. You, well, they, you already had a game that. console from either Sony or Microsoft who did this. And it was just simply a matter of them not really advertising that feature. Oh, well, that? Sorry, I just use it to play games. Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but... Do what you do very well and do that. You know, Microsoft has spent, what now, 15 years getting into the video game business almost. They're just starting to get really good at being a video game company. You know, Sony has been in the home entertainment business for almost as long as they've been a company. That's what they do very, very well. So it seems like they're trying to expand to catch up with the other guy for the sake of catching up with the other guy rather than because it's what they really think is best for the consumer or the best service they can deliver. So with, with the 360, they delivered the great games first and then added the extra content over the course of the years. You know, I, yeah. I'm still not sold because why do I need a home entertainment center when I've already got one? You know, what, Microsoft still hasn't given me a good reason to spend $600 to buy the system. And I'm a big Microsoft fan. I've been for years now. Our uh, PS3 is mainly ours, so... Is your, your PS3 is your home entertainment center? Yeah, it's, it's our yeah. main one. That's what we, I mean, we go on the uh, Xbox 360 for HBO Go, you know, some of the apps that they have on there, and uh, Amazon Prime, mm-hmm. we go on there as well, but we watch well, uh, Netflix more than anything, so we go yeah. on our PS3. Well, those are on the PS3 now also, the HBO and uh, uh, Amazon are. But yeah, I agree that my daughter's four years old and she knows the PS3 is not a game system to her. It's where she gets to Netflix. Yeah. So. Philistine. Speaking of Sony, however, Sony has announced a new cool little feature uh, for the PS4 that really had me scratching my head. And I'll explain here why. It's a sharing function that allows you to share the game you're currently playing. So let's say I'm playing, I don't know, some kind of awesome construction game, and there's one type of building I can't figure out how to build. And so I hit share. And it is the equivalent, almost, of me passing the controller over the couch to Squishy. And even though he doesn't have the game, he can now, two time zones away, help me out with this level and then pass the controller back, as if he and I were playing there in the living room together. Or what if there's this really awesome thing that I want to play with him with? So I hit share, and he and I can go co-op and play the game together. Again, he doesn't own it. It's not in his system, but he is able to play it with me. Sounds pretty awesome, right? Makes it a lot easier when you guys get pissed off over who's player one and who's player two. <laughs> and oh yeah, he doesn't. No split have, screen for us. Yeah, he doesn't have to say, "Okay, fine, I'm going home," because he's already home. 
Yes, that is exactly the function they were looking. That is exactly the type of convenience Sony is giving us. No, here's what confuses me. Okay, uh, Microsoft tried to do this with the Xbox One. Remember, that's why they had all those DRM issues that people went ape over. And Microsoft's like, "Look, sorry, this is this is the feature we want to bring you. This is what we want to do. This game sharing with your friends. And the only way we can make that work is with the DRM modifications we're talking about." Everyone went nuts, said, no, 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 we don't want those DRM things where you couldn't actually play a used game or, or, or whatnot. And so Microsoft said, fine, we'll take them off the table. We'll try and figure out some other way to make the game sharing work, though, because that is the future of things. So the question becomes, did Sony get away with something that Microsoft couldn't? Or did Microsoft simply not work hard enough to figure out how to make this work? Because this is exactly the function that Microsoft was trying to give us. See, I, all these cool online features just, they really make me depressed. Because this year at E3, they were big on how all the games have these cool multiplayer components, and you can play with your friends, and you know, four player Assassin's Creed. And, I'm sorry, I'm a lonely old man who's two time zones away from my video game playing friends. <sighs> That's us, more, by the way. Yeah. I don't need more things to remind me that I don't have friends around, and, you know, to actually, the, I, the, the amount of work that has to go We're going to take, a, to go gonna take a screenie of the three of us in Assassin's Creed with like this, wish you were here, and send it to you. Yeah, basically. I mean, you've got the amount of... I'm in my mid-30s. I've got two kids, you know, and I've got the fewest kids of most of us. But the amount of work that goes in just to get online at the same time. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. I mean, now these awesome feet... Where was this stuff 15 years ago? No joke. That's what I'm saying. Well, I Because this we- sounds like a cool feature. I believe we've talked about this before, haven't we, Zoo? Where Sony essentially came out and said, we're doing, well, they didn't say it, but they're doing the exact same thing that Microsoft got crucified for, and they got away with it. They were, I think within the last three to six months, we've discussed this. Yeah, well, it's always someone. Google is doing something that Microsoft did, and they're getting away with it. Apple is doing something that Microsoft tried to do, and they get away with it. And yeah, you're probably right. Sony has come up quite a few times. But there still also exists the possibility that Sony was able to figure out a way to make this work with all, without all the totalitarian-style DRM modifications that Microsoft wanted. So I'm not really sure. It, it'll be interesting to see, though. And it's quite a feature. It really is a pretty awesome feature. At the very least, even if, like Squishy said, he's two time zones away, we simply cannot ever hop on at the same time. But there's this level of the game I want his help for. I simply hit share. It goes to his inbox. And when he's ready, he can turn on his system and play through that level for me and then share it back to me. Yeah. That's that's pretty awesome. That really is. I mean, one of my favorite aspects of the, the Trials, Fusion and Trials, uh, whatever games, on the Xbox 360 is the ability to race ghosts of your friends. So even though you know, Schmitty has the game, so even though he and I aren't playing at the same time, I'm able to race against him, you know, see his little guy on screen. So anything that adds to that experience, I think that could be a seller. Yeah. Uh, speaking of video games, well, we actually have a couple more video games, but guess who's coming back? Coming back to the video game world. We're going to have to explain this to some of our younger listeners, but Sierra games are coming back. Hooray! <laughs> yeah. Now, it's really too bad that Schmitty isn't on this episode because he, I think above any of us on here, uh, is a Sierra Games fanatic because he was a King's Quest junkie. The only person who might be a bigger Sierra Games fan than Schmitty is actually my wife. When Laura and I were dating, we were at a GameStop and she found this collection of Space Quest games. And no joke, my bride-to-be at that point, I think we were engaged, 
She saw the game and she started hopping up and down, giggling with joy that she had found this thing and gave me this monster hug. I looked over in the eyes of the GameStop employee who just had this look of, you found a girl who likes video games? <laughs> oh, is that, is that actually when you got on one knee and asked? Were I, you waiting it, for it that kind of light bulb moment? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but she her. was thrilled to hear. The, the, for those who don't know, the Space Quest and King's Quest games were the, uh, the point-and-click adventure games, uh, very story-based um, very PC heavy, did not translate over to consoles. Well, and, and even then, PCs weren't capable of much. Sierra really drove uh, computers to their bleeding edge to make these games work. And yeah, they were all just point and click, read a lot of text, choose an adventure, and go off. If, if you can imagine World of Warcraft on a 386DX processor with not even a full megabyte of video memory, it was impressive. You know, they weren't even all point and click. A lot of them, like I think it was King's Quest Four, when that introduced the SVGA graphics, that was like groundbreaking at the time. But I remember playing that and having to type in, open the door. Which door do you want to open? The one I'm in front of, stupid. You know, that kind of stuff. I mean, it was... <laughs> I, I spent hours and hours and hours of my childhood, and you forgot the most important. A King's Quest, Space Quest, yeah, those were important. Hero's Quest was where it was at. Yes, Hero's Quest. <laughs> See, I, I never had a PC that played those games as a kid, so I never got a chance to experience that fun. I was a console kid. See, and I think, uh, actually, I do believe that it had an, a hand in forming how I was as a gamer, because my first PC was a 166 megahertz Pentium, and I played MechWarrior 2, which may explain why I'm much more of a simulator, shoot 'em up based gamer than many of my friends who grew up on the King's Quest and Heroes Quest games, who are much more RPG and adventure. So... That's just my theory. Anyway. There are many reasons to explain why you are the way you are. And I like a lot of them shooting keep me up at night. Don't judge. Yeah. Um, going into some other gaming news, only slightly gaming related. I mean, it's kind of cool, and it is gaming news, but it's other news as well. As you've no doubt heard by now, um, Vaunted Star and Ambassador of Laughter, which sounds really cheesy, but truly the guy was amazing, uh, Robin Williams passed away this last week. Uh, he, it is confirmed uh, it was suicide. Uh, dealing primarily with depression. Uh, he was 63 years old, and I believe he was still filming a role, or he just wrapped. He, had he has four, four movies coming out. Yeah, he had several movies that are in the process of coming out. So it's, we're in that weird time where even though he's dead, we're still going to see roles. A couple of them I've heard really good things about. Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if you see an Academy Award nomination for him next year. Not necessarily thinking he's going to go full Heath Ledger and win, but uh, yeah, it's a sad time. Very sad. I mean, he was kind of the comedic voice of many generations. I, I remember him most as Genie. Um, my mom remembered him from Mindy and Mork, or Mork, Mork and Mindy, Mindy, you know. Mork and Mindy. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he goes across all generations. Even some of the roles you really wish you didn't remember, like Fern Gully. Um, what? I'm just kidding. I wasn't too crazy about that movie. <laughs> no one was. Um, <laughs> yet they made like hey, a yet everyone loved sequels. it when they called it. Yeah. Then James Cameron redoes it, calls it Avatar, and everyone goes to see it. Yeah. Well, it was in 3D then. No, that's what it was. You know what? You, you know what Avatar needed more Robin Williams as a bat. Yeah. Yes, it did. Anyway, um, it, news has just come to light. Actually, today that uh, he was also uh, starting to suffer the early stages of Parkinson's. So that may have also had uh, a role in his depression. Um, he was an avid gamer. He was kind of the original comedic geek. 
Uh, he named his daughter Zelda, famously. And yes, he named her after the video game because he loved that game. And he was also an avid World of Warcraft player. I'm not, sorry, not World of Warcraft, but a Warcraft player as well. Um, played two and three. So much so that a uh, change.org petition was put in place and signed by, what was the final number? Like somewhere in the tens of thousands, right? Or 10,975. Thank you. Yes. Wow. Nice approximation there. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Um, and Blizzard took note. And he will now be a permanent fixture in the world of Warcraft. We're not really sure how yet. He's probably going to be a, an NPC um, that you probably have to go and visit and talk with. Or maybe he'll just be there at the bar telling jokes or something. Uh, but Well, they, they've done it in the past for a couple of other people. One was a, an early developer in the game who died. And another was a, a big fan. I think it, was a, it might have even been a Make-A-Wish thing. There actually are monuments in the game world. There's uh, essentially a, a statue uh, for some of these people. So they've commemorated several people before. So it wouldn't surprise me with someone as, as big as Robin Williams that you get to see something like that. It's a place people can go. Yeah. I'm excited to see if I can find him. Maybe you'll get an achievement or something. I don't know. Maybe. That'd be cool, though. It would be. But, uh, yeah, very sad time. Um, Dr. Squishy actually is a medical professional dealing with this and dealt with it. You dealt with it on your show as well, Squishy's Comics and Movies. Yeah. Yeah, as, as I said, um, I work as a therapist. I have a master's in clinical psychology. Um, this is not really the time or place to go into it. And I, of course, never met the man. But Rob Williams had a very, was very open about his battles with mental illness, with depression, with substance use, and previous thoughts of suicide. Uh, if you get the chance this week, check out an interview he did with Mark Marin on the WTF podcast where he, he openly talked about it in a very chilling interview to listen now just a few days after he took his own life. But the, the one thing that I felt it important to talk about and the guys agreed earlier on is there's a misconception when it comes to depression and mental illness that if you were to ask someone if they had thought about committing suicide, that that would actually put the thought into their head and that by saying the S word, you might push someone over the edge. In fact, every bit of research has said the exact opposite. Asking someone if they have committed their considered committing suicide, in fact, doesn't increase their odds. It significantly decreases their odds. Many people who have attempted unsuccessfully to kill themselves have said why they did it is because no one asked. So ask. If you have questions about a friend, ask. It's okay. It shows that you're listening. It shows that you care. And it may help more than you know. So, Okay. And in, in, I can't really say one way or another. I feel very uh, inadequate talking about this subject, so I defer to your expertise. So, moving on into some weird news. I feel bad segueing from such heavy uh, topics into DC, but here we go. Uh, Jason Momoa, who we've talked about in Games of Throne here, and I believe he was also Stargate Atlantis, but uh, Games of Throne, yeah, Game, Game of, of Thrones. Thrones, Game of Thrones, wrong plural. Thanks. Um, it has been confirmed. Actually, has this been no, confirmed? No, he, just- he hasn't actually been confirmed. Variety said it's all but confirmed. I- I've talked about it on my show that until I actually see something from DC Comics, I, I won't believe it. I'm not even talking well, about it let- anymore. Let's talk about the rumor first, okay? okay we d- have to actually say what hasn't been confirmed. I'm sorry. There's There's been a rumor for about six months now that Jason Momoa, who appeared in the first season of Game of Thrones, is going to be appearing in a small cameo in Batman v Superman as Aquaman. Uh, this has been rumored, it's been hinted, it's been downplayed. Uh, we got word this week that DC is working on a couple scripts for a potential Aquaman movie. But again, I, I think it's I think it's going to happen, but until something's official, I don't know. Can I, let's just point out, though, that when we say cameo, we learned this last week with Guardians of the Galaxy just how small a cameo can be. 
Anyone oh, catch yeah. that cameo with Nathan Fillion in Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah. We're not going to give it away if you haven't, but he's in there. Oh. You see him. He gets screen time. He gets an actual couple lines. He's, you can't miss him, but you did. I know you did, unless you read the spoilers or went back through and watched the credits to figure out who he was. So to say that he has a cameo could mean anything. Yeah, it could be a post credit scene. It could be a blink and you'll miss him. could be a billboard. So it could be entirely CGI and he's just in a crowd watching as Superman flies over. We sure. have no clue. So it could be confirmed and it could still be worthless or it could not be confirmed and be big. Yeah. So we don't really know, but it's news for some reason. So we have to report on it. Actual news and actually confirmed. Lex Luthor has been cast for The Flash. I don't okay, care. That's kind of a click that's a bit of a clickbait headline, but go ahead. <laughs> I wrote that and I'm proud of it. Thank you. It's BuzzFeed worthy. Yeah. <laughs> you know though, Clancy Brown uh, is an amazing amazing actor. I love okay. the guy. Uh, You're right. But, he is Kurgan from Highlander for me for all times. But, but he to, to will, clarify. He will always be. A, a lot of people, he's Kurgan. To me, he is Lex Luthor. He did the voice for Lex Luthor in the Justice League cartoons. He's done him in repeated. That is correct. I mean, repeated movies yeah. and whatnot. He is Lex Luthor. I cannot watch any Clancy Brown without thinking that's Lex Luthor. And now he's going to be in The Flash as a recurring he role. Is. And I'm looking forward to it. I had a chance to catch the first episode of Flash a few weeks ago, and it's going to be great. I'm really really looking forward to that show. It's going to be very good, actually. The CW, who knew, is actually producing some really awesome superhero shows. Just any shows in general. No, that's not necessarily true, because there's there's some pretty horrible superhero shows. Remember the original Flash TV series? No, that show was great. That was awesome. The early 90s? That was awesome. And that actor's back. He's playing Barry Allen's dad in the TV show. John Wesley Shipp. John Wesley Shipp, yep. Well, no, I meant I felt like the only show that was saving, and this is just my opinion, the only show that was saving the CW was Supernatural before they came out with these comic books. Oh, come on. Gossip Girls? That show just tugs at my heartstrings every week. I'm sorry, but Dean, I don't think so. <laughs> no. We'll let you two ladies fight I've, it out later. <laughs> I'm proud to say I've never actually seen an episode of Gossip Girl, and that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I've never seen either. I've never seen Supernatural or Gossip Girl. I've tried with Supernatural, but... Yeah, yeah. that's that's good. Anywho, <laughs> into actual comic news. <laughs> no, no, literally, this is an actual comic. Um, Action Comics number one is up for auction. Now, if you only kind of know what comics are or you only kind of follow them, uh, you still know this one. It's the one with Superman on the cover saving, like lifting a car. It's iconic in that even if you've never read a comic book, you've seen this image. Uh, this is almost the mascot image for early Superman, you know, pre-Christopher Reeves days. This is pre-George Reeves days. Yeah, it's... It's it's the original. It's the origin. Yeah. Yes. And it is yeah, up I, for auction now. Ten days. eBay auction. This is the holy grail of comic books. And this is the finest known copy of Action Comics, number one. The owner has kept it in a temperature-controlled vault. And I got to tell you, if I had all sorts of sick money, I would open that vault. I would read the comic. And I would do it on YouTube. And then I would collect the tears of all the nerds. And I would <laughs> use it. To solve world drought. Yeah. It is worth noting, though, that it, it, despite Sonner's 
deep love of, or dream in life of becoming a supervillain. Uh, the <laughs> the weirdest supervillain, I mean. That's a very specific kind of rage you've got there that we've got to talk about later. But uh, it, it is worth noting that according to the official uh, eBay page, a portion of the proceeds, however small that might be, uh, will benefit the Christopher and Dana Reeves Foundation. Um, so part of your money, if you shell out whatever the probably millions of dollars it's going to go for, will go to a decent cause. So there's that. I'm willing to bid up to $50 because I think that's about as much as I could ever get my wife to okay. <laughs> the last copy of this that sold that was this high of quality was owned by Nick Nicholas Cage, the actor, and it sold for one or two point one six million in two thousand eleven. So yeah. should should bring a pretty penny. Very, very cool. Well, let's very quickly move through our favorites here. We're running a little bit long, as is what happens when we have more people, which is always fine. My favorite is actually a little bit old, but I just came across it this week. Someone actually won an award for this in sound design. They took a fight scene from Matrix uh, Reloaded, I believe it is. It's uh, Neo's fight with uh, all the thugs in the castle or the villa or whatnot, but redone with 8-bit sound tones. It is hilarious. And if you are a retro gamer or a child of the 80s, you can probably watch this and recognize where a lot of the different sound clips come from. But it is genius. And I could watch the entire Matrix trilogy this way. That's awesome. <laughs> well, um, my favorites this week, um, like most women, I like shoes. But mine are more into the uh, sneaker style. I'm not very coordinated with heels, so I kind of quit trying. Um and not only do I like sneakers, but I do like to try to find ones that are more on the creative side than what you would normally find. And uh, Zook actually showed me this, and instantly I was like, okay, this is this is my favorites. Uh, these are Tricera high tops. And there's a Kickstarter campaign going on right now to uh, help promote this project. And if you look at them, I think they're kind of cool. <laughs> I would totally um, get them for my little ones. I would love to see awesome. my little two-year-old wear them. Screw that. And I'm going to work in these. <laughs> yeah, no yeah, doubt. So would I. I love dinosaurs, too. And me and my husband have long-running jokes regarding dinosaurs. And so I just feel like these are the most epic shoes ever. And they only have 27 days to go. So let's help them. Donate to us first and then yeah. donate to that. Yeah. They're yes. halfway to their goal. So they've, they're a lot further along than we are. Yeah, we need your help more. Uh, my favorite pertains to the 45th anniversary of Disney's Haunted Mansion attraction at Disneyland. And this past weekend, uh, on December 9th, they hosted a panel at Scare LA with Disney legends Bob Gurr and Alice Davis, in which they discussed Haunted Mansion, how it came to be, how they got some of their ideas, some of the stories associated with it. And the entire panel somehow found its way up onto... YouTube without Disney having taken it down yet. So they may have taken it down by the time you hear this, but if they haven't, go check it out quickly before it gets taken down because it's quite fascinating, especially if you are into Disney stuff or into Haunted Mansion. It's definitely for you. Awesome. So my favorite of the week is, well, there's no way other way of putting it, it's Dancing Groot. Those of you who've seen Guardians of the Galaxy know the now, I'm sure, infamous scene of Baby Groot dancing to the Jackson 5 near the end of the movie while Drax sharpens his blade. Marvel, in their infinite wisdom, has agreed to put the clip out on YouTube. So give it a look, and I'm sorry, it's going to put a smile on your face. Uh, this has been one of the surprise things out of the movie, and I guarantee you, I know there are already unofficial versions of it out there, by this Christmas you will be able to buy a dancing Groot, doll, Groot in your 
local Toys R Us. So check out the video of Groot dancing to the Jackson 5 and enjoy the smile. I'm going to put him on my dashboard. Yeah, me too. He's going on my windowsill. I, I know where he's going in my office. Well, that is our show for this week. Uh, again, special thanks to all of our sponsors and our friends. Thanks to Dr. Squishy for joining us from Squishy's Comics and Movies. You can hear his show every week, uh, usually Thursdays. Uh, check it out on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, if you have not visited our Indiegogo page, please do. Again, this is our last few days to do it, and we desperately need your help. But until next time, cheers. Later. Good day. Nanu Nanu. This has been a Stolen Droids Media Production. <laughs>